Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Friday morning. We're going to catch you up on the NBA action that we had going on in the association on Thursday night here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jared Weiss. I'm joined by Wazi Lambre. What's going on, Waz? I'm good, my brother. Just here on another Thursday night, another jam-packed NBA night. Just happy to be here with my brother Jared Weiss, man. It's always good to be with you, bro. I love you. I miss you. (laughs) We also got Brian Smith here partying with us as well to make sure we sound good. Now, Waz oversold it because this this, uh, night was kind of full of blowouts, but we did have at least some fun stuff to talk about. So forget the usual intro. Let's get right into Lakers Nuggets, which ends up being a blowout 114 to 93. But at least for most of this game, it was pretty thrilling. Yeah. I mean, the Nuggets were up by about 10 to 12 points at halftime. The Lakers came out and it was pretty aggressive and... You know, they cut the lead down to the five or six area, and then Jokic went out, and, you know, they basically could smell blood in the water, and they went in for the kill. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. When the Lakers want to play world-class defense, they can, and it's breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking when they do that, and I think that's what you saw in the third quarter. And, you know, one hand washes the other, right, Jared? Like, when they are getting these stops— They are also the best team in transition in the NBA. And once they get their transition game going, it's ridiculous. That one pass that LeBron whipped to Montrez Harrell, like sort of on a look ahead, and it had arc, but it also was a bullet somehow over Jokic's head. Montrez catches in. Jokic can't do anything to stop his, you know, momentum and just pushes him out of bounds for the foul. And it was just like, up. That's it. They're turning this thing on, and they kind of never stopped pouring it on after that. Yeah, I don't know if you're talking about the same play where I think it was Kyle Kuzma gets a long rebound, and in the air, he tosses it to uh, LeBron, and then LeBron just rifles it to Trez. I mean, that's what I love about LeBron. LeBron's that guy that, like, you know those machines at batting cages when you would feed the ball into it, and it's just like this, like, you know, these two wheels cycling super fast and you feed the ball and it starts to slowly roll and then boom, it just zips out of there. That's what LeBron is like when he's getting into that kind of showtime mode. And what I loved about this LeBron performance, besides the fact that he had a 20 point triple double was during that, I think it was a 17 to two run in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. He's really kind of getting his feel by playmaking for everybody, but you know, he's always going to get into one of those modes where he's going to take some absurd ISO shot. This one was like a super duper kind of Kevin Garnett-esque fadeaway from the block. And every time it goes up, you're like, come on, that shot's so terrible. Why are you taking that? And then, of course, of course, it he was hits the swish. Shot. He turned around, looked at the Denver bench like, you guys can't be serious. And when, you know, when the jumper's <laughs> working, the sort of fall away, fade away, like you just mentioned, the KG style is working. He was getting downhill. And that's the thing I notice about LeBron when he's playing Jokic. He always feels confident that he can get to the cup and get a decent look. I mean, so that's why I think they're a tough matchup for Denver. And they didn't even have have to whip out at any point you know for serious stretches anyway the ad at the five right like a lot of trez a lot of mark gasol out there and so ad didn't get banged up he could sort of freelance you know so funny jared is that ad obviously has a dope offensive game but i think the most exciting part about watching him is when he's locked in on defense and he's playing the cat and mouse game with the guy you know who's playmaking and pick and roll, being a help defender, switching out on little guys on the perimeter. He's just incredible to watch on defense when he's engaged, man. 
and I mean, I don't know if I'll give him all the credit for this, but this was not a good Jokic game. I mean, Jokic, who's been playing at pretty much an MVP level this year, he finishes with 13 points on 6-for-16 six shooting, didn't even attempt a 3 in the entire game, which I don't think I've ever seen that before from Jokic. He only had 6 times, uh, 10 rebounds is fine, I guess, but why do you think he was so off tonight? You know, he just couldn't get in rhythm, and the Lakers do have... You know, they can double team him with size and length, if not when they are just single teaming him, right? And when they're playing the passing lanes and they're getting, I think the other thing that the Lakers somehow got Denver's other guys to second guess themselves on stuff. And so when Jokic is in just like, you know, just in sync with everybody and everybody kind of knows where everybody's going and there's no hesitation. It's sort of like a symphony when you're watching Denver's offense play, right? But tonight, they were just out of rhythm. The the Lakers got them out of rhythm, particularly in the third quarter. And also, Michael Porter Jr. missed a couple of open threes that I think would have kept things within striking distance until Jokic got back out there. But he misses them, and those missed open threes turn into transition opportunities for the Lakers. And that's these games can turn on a dime when you're talking about the best team in the NBA. I think Porter was kind of at the uh, the center point of one of the defining plays of this game was Jamal Murray is running out in transition on the right wing. Porter's trailing, and he gets the ball swung to him at the top of the arc. And instead of going and attacking the rim, he takes the wide open three And, you know, usually you're like, you know what, you should be going for the rim, but it's a wide open three and you can shoot it. So, you know, what the hell might as well, you know, we can live with it. Except Kyle Kuzma flies in from out of nowhere to block the shot from behind without fouling. And the Lakers managed to get the ball. And I remember Reggie Miller really teeing off on the Nuggets uh, during the, uh, I guess, the transition to the commercial uh, after that. I thought it was a really nice night for Kuzma who was really running his ass off on defense and a nice job stretching the floor. Another great night for Dennis Schroeder. He had 21 points on 7-for-9 shooting. I mean, for a night where Anthony Davis wasn't really doing that much offensively and he was kind of an afterthought for most of the night, this was one of the more well-rounded offensive performances for the Lakers' kind of new depth. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Porter Kyle Kuzma situation where it's clearly some type of light skin beef is going on there. And what's funny about it, (laughs) they take the matchup personally, and it's been happening since the playoffs last year. What's funny about it is that we know in his heart Kyle Kuzma absolutely wishes he was the sort of offensive talent that Michael Porter Jr. is. But the funny thing is, Michael Porter Jr. doesn't have a sink, possess any of the intangibles, the hustle, the sort of, you know, nose for the ball type of instincts that Kuzma has, right? But yet, Michael Porter Jr. couldn't care. He's like, I, I get buckets. I don't care about any of this other stuff that help wins, helps win games. And I think I give Kyle Kuzma credit, man, for transit. Remember, he averaged about 20 points that year before LeBron got there. And, you know, basically from LeBron's one year with the baby team to now, the way Kuzma has evolved his game to be an effective role player, you got to tip your cap to him because he could have easily sulked and be like, I'm a bucket getter, but he's made himself into a, a, a quality role guy. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's head over to the Bay where the Warriors destroyed the Mavericks 147 to 116. There have been so many 145-plus point games in the last week. It's been a crazy week here on The Ding. This was the night where Kelly Oubre, after everything that has gone wrong for him this year in Golden State, he drops 40 points on 14-for-21 shooting, shooting 7-for-10 from three. That's probably completely fixed his uh, (laughs) three-point percentage at this point, Was This was just a fascinating night for Golden State because this was a great night for their supporting cast in a game where... All of their bigs were out except for Draymond's, where Juan Toscano Anderson was the only other person that really qualifies as a big. And the Bay Area native, he got the start. He had 14 points on 6-for-8 shooting in 40 minutes. He, he played pretty much the entire game. It was pretty impressive. But let's just start with Oubre, because when Kelly Oubre drops 40 points, especially with the way this year has been going, that is something worth celebrating. Yeah, and, you know, this is the story of the Golden State Warriors. It's crazy, but they're going to live or die based on what they get out of their wings, right? Like, based on what they get out of Klay Thompson's, the guys that are basically stepping in in Klay Thompson's stead on a night-to-night basis between Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins. Tonight, Oubre was super infernal, (laughs) you know, 7 of 10 from 3, 14 of 21 overall. 40 points on 21 shot attempts is just incredible efficiency. And so, you know, you get a great Oubre night, and they look amazing against the Mavs and smoke them, right? I think the Mavs are going through their own sort of identity crisis and issues right now that you know it's starting to get a little scary for them um especially because everybody had big expectations for them they had the excuse of poor Zingas being out at first but he's back and they just still don't have that special something from last year specifically offensively right so I think if you're a Mavs fan you need to maybe start inching your finger closer to the panic button not quite pressing it yet but inching closer but yeah um Golden State I think this is just a microcosm of the type of team that they have they're gonna live and die by two pretty inconsistent cats and two dudes that have never been called upon to be main cogs in a pl- on a playoff teams right aside from one year each where they were ancillary parts to those playoff pushes so you know good for the Warriors tonight I was just so excited to see Juan Toscano Anderson get a shine because he just was coming. He's coming off of, I think it was a career high 16 points against Boston two nights earlier. So, you know, you're hoping that a deep role player that finally has that breakthrough night is very exciting for everybody. You're like, oh, I don't know when he's going to get another chance to be able to continue to build off of that momentum. Then, of course, he played the most minutes of anybody in this game and he's still shooting red hot. He's moving the ball so well. I love the fact that not only did he go six or eight from the fields but he also had five dimes he's crashing the glass he's really nice in the short roll where they can run pick and roll action with them or they can have him space out to the corner where he's hitting those spot up shots he really seems like a perfect fit for the way that this warriors team generally has been run over the years yeah, and some of these guys are rounding into shape, right? I think Steve I think Steve Kerr's got <laughs> Warriors Twitter has kind of turned on Steve Kerr a bit here and I think he's gotten a lot of unfair flack for doing the best that he can with the talent that he's given, right? But, you know, a lot of these guys need to get minutes, and I think the more they play with everybody, the more guys start to gel. And luckily for Golden State, Steph Curry is the most, you know, 
he is an exemplary leader, right? Like, he's not going to get too down. He's going to stay upbeat. He's going to play hard, and he's going to try to see this thing through. So, you know, hopefully they have more nights like this for Golden State Warriors fans. I cannot believe that they're giving Steve Kerr crap. He, he went from Kevin Durant to Andrew Wiggins. Like, give the guy a break, man. Look, I mean, look at the the rotation they're throwing out there. These guys are not a clean fit. They're doing a great job trying to run the offense through Draymond because Draymond can't shoot anymore. And this game, at least, you know, last game, it took him until the end of the third quarter to score a field goal. And that was only because an offensive rebound fell right to him. In this game, he goes three for five. But what was incredible was he had 15 assists. They basically were just running the whole offense through him. Yeah, and you can do that when the other team is just not keyed in, not connected, and not, you know, locking in. But again, I hate to oversimplify things. Kelly Oubre shoots 7 out of 10 from 3. Golden State's going to look pretty freaking good anytime he does that. All right, let's get to some of the news from Thursday. Uh, The big one is we officially are getting an all-star game in Atlanta. Waz, would you put your life on the line to go get some of those lemon pepper wings? (laughs) Speaking of somebody who, you know, Atlanta is one of my favorite American cities, like literally right behind New York City and and Los Angeles. You know, I wouldn't be going to this All-Star Weekend just because, like, there will be plenty of other All-Star Weekends and they won't be handicapped by a global pandemic, right? So, no, I wouldn't personally go as a fan or as media or whatever, right? But I do want to say this because I've seen a lot of hand-wringing and I think it's kind of, like, weird paternalistic concern trolling honestly from where I sit these guys are playing a 72 game season if they get together to play a freaking exhibition game in Atlanta it's going to be okay like I get that bringing everybody to one spot sort of increases the likelihood that something would spread if somebody has it I get that but the economic realities are what they are. They started this season because of economics, because of money. One of their main partners, TNT, this is their a big money maker for them. And they're like, guys, if you can help to play this game, please do. We're your freaking partner in this. We've paid you billions of dollars over the years, right? You guys got second and third vacation homes because of the deal that we signed with you guys. Like, play this game. And I understand why they're doing it for their business partners. And this idea that playing one game is some in a 73-game season now. Like, let's not pretend they whittled this thing down to 30 or 20 or something like that. In a 72-game season, the idea that they would get their stars together to play one game to satisfy their TV partners, I have literally no issue with it. I think it's actually a pretty reasonable take. And, I mean, I think it really just comes down to how they – manage the protocols for this so if they're able to get everyone that's going to be there to isolate for a few days so that they they can do testing and be confident that COVID isn't getting into that whatever kind of bubble they end up setting up down there then it's not really a problem I think the the concern obviously is just that you get basically one or two people from almost every single team in the NBA together and if COVID's spreading around then you're just going to have this super spreader event that's going to spread it all the way around the league and it's probably going to lead to a, a mass shutdown so it is it is a pretty big risk but you know it's like whatever it's like it's not that dramatically different than most of the other risks that they take except that there's just more chance for cross transmission all the way around the league and you are right they they <laughs> It's probably going to save them, I guess, a lot of money or keep a lot of revenue flowing in the long run for them to be able to keep uh, Turner happy on that one. So let's move on to the rest of the news that we had. We had Nemanja Bielisa in Sacramento apparently wants to be traded. 
And for some reason, Sacramento didn't trade him last year. And this year, he's just been riding the bench the entire time. So they missed that window to actually get some value for him. They're going to try to accommodate him, which I think will be a pretty obvious that's going to happen. Uh, injury news, Avery Bradley, he's out for three to four weeks with a calf strain. But the bigger one coming right before we're recording here is Christian Wood. He's going to have an MRI after re-injuring his right ankle for the second time in three weeks. Rockets coach Steven Silas said that the injury didn't look great. It seems like Wood could be out for some time now. And, you know, the Rockets, they're currently sitting in 10th place. But after the Nuggets losing to the Lakers, they're only one game out of fourth place. The West is so tight right now. They're having a decent season so far, considering everything they've been going through. So if Wood is out till basically the trade deadline, we don't know yet. But, you know, I'd imagine it's probably something like that. The question is, was... Should this team be trying to push towards the playoffs or should they still go forward with a fire sale? You know, the beauty of it is if they get a deal that they are very satisfied with, they can do it. They're, the beauty of how guys have handled the post-Harden situation is that everybody's been so professional and wanting to play hard and prove something to people that it's engendered an atmosphere that, all right, you lose one of your best players, a borderline all-star right now in Christian Wood. But, like, between P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, Victor Oladipo, and John Wall, like, these guys are consummate pros, and these are effort guys. These are guys who play hard every single night, right? I think if you get something that you like, obviously make the deal, but your guys are playing in such a way Silas is, has coached in such a way and gotten some buy-in in such a way that you can just chill and let your guys prove that they're willing to fight for it. I mean, look at what Jay Sean Tate did in their what they won one fifteen to one hundred three over Memphis on Thursday. Jay Sean Tate had nineteen points on seven for nine shooting in thirty minutes, and he had a couple blocks. Uh, you know, Christian Wood, before he got hurt in this game, he had 17 points in only 20 minutes. John Wall, he shot four for nine from deep, which is pretty good for John Wall. I mean, this this team, there is something there. And mind you, they played and won this game without Victor Oladipo, who is someone that they're you know very possibly going to ship out at the deadline and probably get long-term assets back. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they get, because they got all those draft picks from Brooklyn, maybe they're looking to acquire some younger talent that fits with, I don't really know what their timeline is actually, but their, their timeline's kind of all over the place. <laughs> right. But Because uh, I guess that's a big question, right? It's like, so Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker, they're kind of at the end of their primes. They're kind of you know, fading out of their primes, really. Wall and Wood are pretty much like it's time for them to win now. Then everybody else on this team is just kind of like, you know, they could be there, they could not be there. So I guess the question is, do they go for a really young player or draft picks? Or do they go for somebody who's like a good player in their prime like right now? Like a, this is just like a random example, but like a Nick Vucevic type of player. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and denigrate all-star Nick Vucevic. He's just a placeholder for, like, a good player in their prime. Right. You know? like, I, I, like he's not even really a fit. Yeah. Exactly. Like, to me, they can do as they please. Again, if somebody sees the way Victor Oladipo is playing, they feel like he's worth the contract that he's probably going to demand in the offseason and want to give up some nice stuff for it, I don't think the Rockets are in a position to say no. Right? And so, you know... I would stand pat, right? Like improving my lottery position, improving all of these things. If that's what ha would happen, or if my guys went on a tear, I get to go to the playoffs. I get that playoff revenue. Like they're in a no lose right now because they have no real expectations.
you know what? Tillman Fertitta getting fans back in the stands for playoff gate revenue, th- that actually could decide the, f- the, the the moves that they're making. Listen, always got to think about the Frittata. <laughs> what is the origin if you call him Frittata? It, it, it makes I me laugh every time. I just literally thought his name was Frittata. <laughs> That's it. The first couple times you said it, I'm like, I'm not going to correct him. But this time, I'm like, okay, clearly he does what he's doing. At first, when he came on the scene... With the shut up and be smart and be good at bit shut up in business book that he dropped, I thought his name was Frittata. And it was like, nah, his name's Frittata. Frittata's the like breakfast thing. And I was like, oh, still calling him Frittata. I mean, for a guy that owns a restaurant conglomerate, Frittata would be the perfect Exactly. Name. See yeah. if it's. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for today's show. Uh, don't forget about all the other basketball shows that we have across the Athletic Podcast Network because we still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show. We have No Dunks. We have House of Strauss plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. And don't forget that you can follow on the app where you can get notifications for new episodes and you can utilize the podcast episode comment section and if you're not a member of the athletic i don't know what you're doing but you're in luck because you can get all of our podcasts ad free plus some fantastic writing across all major sports all for a super low price at theathletic.com slash daily ding thank you as always for waking up with us or if you're still on a bender thanks for staying up with us was what do we say at the end of every show ding 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 dongs 